1: From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hi, I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian Kilmeade. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show, and I'm honored that Brian would uh, hand the reins over to me. I thought he knew me better, but hey, evidently I'm getting away with something, so... I'm glad to be joining you here today, and uh, we're going to have some fun. we got an incredible list of people that are going to come join us, uh, the former National Security Advisor, and th- there's a lot of people that we're going to be talking to, so, but we're going to kick things off by starting with uh, a friend and a colleague of mine that uh, I got to serve with the United States Congress, and that's Sean Duffy, the congressman, former congressman from Wisconsin. Sean, thanks for joining us. Hey, Jason. It's great to be with you. I what a, I, I can't wait to listen to the show today, and I'm uh, happy to top it off in uh, first guest of our one. Well, look, I, I have had a lot of fun with you. Uh, look, your wife is doing an amazing job there uh, hosting the weekends on Fox and friends. Uh, but I got to tell you, I had a lot of laughs and a lot of good hard times with you there in the United States Congress. Um, and we got a unique perspective and we got to work together and I enjoyed that. And, um, But I, you know, you're from you're from Wisconsin. I've spent a a little time. I mean, just a little bit of time. Um, But uh, you and your wife, you're raising all your kids there, and you know, it's an incredible state. It's a beautiful state. And I think of all the other places I got to visit, you know, throughout the country and the Midwest. But one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is. There's not a whole lot of understanding or respect over what I would call the flyover states. You know, Utah, where I'm from, is kind of one of those flyover states. And and uh, I, I got to tell you, when you hear these kind of liberal leftist Hollywood types, it's pretty amazing to me how they treat and think about uh, about what the rest of America does.
3: Well, the part of America that actually makes America work, right? I mean, right. we grow all the food. Um, you know, across the country. I I can't slam California too much. I think they produce more dairy products than we do in Wisconsin with a a dairy state, but they do do well on dairy. But, I mean, the dairy products that come from our state, the timber that comes from the middle part of the country, um, you know, the the oil, the gas. I mean, just we we make this country actually operate. And you have these liberals on the coast who have become – I mean, I don't don't even call them liberal anymore, Jason, because – liberalism still believes in free speech. Liberal believes in individual rights, traditionally. Yeah. Um, these, are, these have become you know leftists, socialists, communists that now live on the coast that have no understanding of the values that, that belong in the middle of the country. People who still believe in family and hard, hard work and helping their neighbors out. They go to church, in my community, and I imagine this is the same in yours. On Sunday, if you drive through um the, the places where I've lived in Wisconsin, every Sunday, the parking lots of churches are full. They're not empty. They're full. People go to church on Sunday. And I don't think you know, folks on the coast actually understand that they can't wrap their head around
2: that what? lifestyle because the viewpoint in, uh, in, on the coast is so different. Well, uh, to that point, uh, let's listen to this little clip here from Matt Damon. He's, look, he's he's a great actor. I've watched a lot of movies that he's in, and uh, but listen to his perspective on what's going on in the middle in, in the in middle America as he was preparing for a role as an oil worker.
4: Oklahoma's, I think, I think was the reddest state <clears throat> in the last two elections. Um, and you talk to those roughnecks; they're always going to vote. I mean, they're in the oil business. Their livelihood depends on that. He is who he is, and he's from where he's from, and the movie has a lot of empathy for him, and so do we. These guys don't apologize for who they are or what they believe ever. Do you own a gun? No, I got two. Being invited into into their homes, into into you know a, a backyard barbecue, and the guitar comes out, and somebody starts singing church songs, and it's like it's a culturally very specific place, and very different from how he and I grew up. It's really eye-opening for me.
2: Yeah, I I, I think he's being honest and sincere there that it is eye-opening that, hey, we got blue-collar workers that go to church, believe in God and country, and wow, I didn't know that really happened out there. Yeah, you
3: know, I think that's a a lot of people's experience, right? Sometimes when I've gone to Rachel – when I met my wife Rachel, she was actually living in California I had no reason to go to California, Jason, but I would go there to see her. And, you know, I was I was always I taken aback about how different California was from where I grew up. And I just think that's that's the nature of, you know, isolating your, your, yourself to, you know, one part of the country. And you, you go meet other people. And I think that was a I, – I, I didn't hear the rest of that clip, but it seems like he's paying some homage to go and, yeah, they're different. And it was – he wasn't saying it was bad, but it was very, very different from –
2: yeah, it was eye-opening.
3: And, well, yeah, let, eye
2: let, let, Let's listen and by to the vice president. And,
3: and, and by the way, just kind of make one of the – this is what gets me. These are, these are you know, oil workers, right? Yeah. And it's interesting, the, the left – and I'm going play in a different direction than you want to go. But the left is like we got to shut down oil and the Green New Deal, and energy is so bad. And all of a sudden, they attack energy, right? They shut down the Keystone right. Pipeline. Joe Biden wants to attack Tax, you know, oil production. They're they're shutting down leases, you know, on federal land, and all of a sudden, oil prices, gas prices start going up. And, and what happens? Joe Biden starts freaking out. He's like, "Oh my goodness, people are paying more for gas." And actually, even Democrats are angry because that's real money out of their pocket. And what does Joe Biden do? He says, "Oh no, we we want OPEC to start pumping more gas." more oil so we can have more supply and bring the prices down <laughs> instead of going, Hey, let's look to Oklahoma and the Texas all over America, where we've been fracking North Dakota and get American energy. it's how stupid these, 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 these liberals are with their policies that actually hurt real people as they fly their, as they fly their jets. And where was the, where was the, uh, the, the conference that happened this last week and they were flying their jets into anyway. Yeah. Sun Valley, yeah, where your home, your backyard, and they fly their private jets in to talk about global warming. They're just, they're, they're, they're crazy
2: and hypocrites. Oh, I, I, think you're, you're absolutely right on the energy front because they get so shocked all of a sudden. And but somehow the oil, if it comes from outside the United States, oh, that's good, that's fine, you know, that's good for the environment. But if it comes from Utah or Texas or Wyoming or something like that. Oh, my goodness, heaven forbid. And and then they act shocked when they shut down exactly what you said, these leases, and they don't allow it to happen. All right, let's go. I want to listen to the vice president here because this is Vice President Harris, and she's over there on black entertainment television talking about, you know, how things work in rural America.
0: You're going to have to um, Xerox or, or, or photocopy your ID to send it in to prove who you are who you are. Well, there are a whole lot of people, especially people who live in rural communities who don't, there's no Kinko's. There's no office max near them. Of course people have to prove who they are, but not in a way that makes it, them, it almost impossible for them to prove who they are.
2: Oh my goodness. I, I, I There's so many things <laughs> that I want to unpack them there. Like, uh, okay. So do rural Americans have the ability to photocopy things? <laughs> <laughs> we got doing going out here. We don't
3: have photocopies here or cell phone coverage. We, I mean, she has to know
2: that all you got to all you got to do is go down to the blockbuster and they'll they'll photocopy it for you, Sean. Kingles Kinkos and Blockbuster, the the
3: greatest corporation. Oh wait, no, they, they 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 don't exist anymore. So let me tell you a little secret. We have a lot of Walmart, and the listeners <laughs> of the program know a lot of a lot of WalMarts in Middle America, and Walmart. Walmarts have photocopiers, and a lot of people have photocopiers for their kids at school or for their jobs or for, you know, keeping receipts and for tax purposes. Gee, what, how out of touch is this woman? And I find it interesting the kind of arguments that the left will make, and she's a leftist, to try to say we need to take away um, security around election law. And we, we, they, what the, the first thing that they had said was, oh, you know, people, black people in the inner city can't get IDs, which is wildly offensive because they're like, we're, we're, saying, yes. we're too stupid to get IDs. Number one, then they go, oh, we just can't make this a, a racial issue. So now we got to go, rural people can't photocopy their IDs. They're moving to just t- t- take away all election security so they can impose a little more liberal fraud to, I think, steal
2: elections. That's, that's what this is all about. Yeah,
3: We both both saw that firsthand, Jason.
2: Look, I I, I have. And you know what? I tell you, for her to say, well, yes, I mean, she's tacitly admitting that, yes, we do need photo, we do need identification, which is a sea change for them, right? Everything that was happening in Georgia and other parts of the world and in Texas and everything is just... Oh, it's Jim Crow. It's, you know, it's racist. It's all these things, which was offensive to suggest that somebody of ethnicity could not go out and figure out how to get a, a voter identification. But, you know, the, the Democrats that I know, the Nancy Pelosi's of the world that I know, and this is what I want to get your take on. They poll everything, Sean. They, they they're not make they you notice that they usually come out a couple days later because they they look at the pollsters, put kind of lick their fingers, see where the wind's going on this. And, oh, hey, voter identification, that's polling. Well,
3: yeah. Hey, uh, defunding the police doesn't poll very well. Right. Maybe we should right. change course. Right. People are dying. Right. That's what they, you're actually, you're absolutely right. Instead of, you know, a little more uh, drive from conviction, Um yeah and I mean even even no I, I mean yes nicer they might say we want voter ID but uh, the the Texas Democrats are are going to leave Texas and go to DC and have a rally uh because uh the Texas Republicans are bringing up a a a, a voter security bill and the Democrats don't want a, a state based Texas bill they want HR1 which doesn't have any actually outlaw laws voter ID Um, and so I think, I think they have a little mixed messaging there and I I don't, and I think in Texas and probably in Wisconsin, it's it's very similar. I have a lot of traditional Democrats where I live, not a lot of the far lefties, not like the California and the New York leftist Democrats. A lot of them understand that. Yeah, listen, I'm not a Republican. I don't, I don't like you guys, but they're a lot closer to the center. They're traditional, you know, Democrats. Um, as opposed to these these Democrats who, you know, want to take over a, a election law and shut down American energy, like we talked about earlier, um, you know, have us, you know, have international law, this one world order, they're not there. And it's, and I think what's going to happen is if Democrats, to your point, Jason, if they don't get on track and start to, you know, figure out where most of Americans are and look at election, look at energy, uh, they're going to find themselves as a minority party very quick.
2: Well, look, I I don't think they ever understood why Donald Trump rose to the prominence and the power that he did. I I don't think there was any appreciation for that. I think they got this Trump derangement syndrome and got locked in there. Um, but they seem to be continually just tone deaf. I think they're tone get tone deaf um on the voting rights and the the idea that you have to have an ID. They were tone deaf and late to the game about, you know, defunding the police, like somehow that was going to be a popular thing. And now you got these Democrats coming out of Texas, flying on a private plane. Uh they if you see the pictures of these Democrats saying, oh, we're not going to stay and vote, um, but at the same time they're trying to argue for voting rights. Um and they're not wearing masks. Like, hey, look, look at all of us smiling away. <laughs> you fools on commercial airplanes, you have to wear a masks, right. but us, we're together in an airplane. We don't have to wear a mask. Listen, uh, the 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 hypocrisy is rich.
3: I and, and this is what I. know I, I, you and I were house guys, right? And um, I, I was I was impressed as you led the oversight committee. And we would have it's interesting as the chairman. We'd always come to you to go, hey, Jason, can you drive this issue? Or can you? You probably had every issue in America come. You know, people coming to you going, "Hey, let's let's focus on this," but um, yeah, you know, flying 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 out here. Um, I wonder, in Democrats supporting that, I'm not sure because I mentioned we're House guys in the Senate. I think if if Mitch McConnell and all the Republicans actually packed up and 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 left and said, "We're not going to give you a quorum," I don't think they could do anything in the Senate. And if any bills come up that Republicans don't like. If Republicans did that, I can't imagine the flip-flop that would happen for for Democrats to go, that's outrageous. You can't leave the Senate. I think I'm right on that rule, I'm, but we're not second. I'm not a Senate guy. I think they could leave and shut it down. Democrats would be outraged if Mitch McConnell did that, but they celebrate Texas Democrats for doing it. And, um, again, I don't think this will play well in Texas. And, again, I think Texas is becoming far more purple than red. I don't think it plays well with, with, with Texas moderates, and I think it secures – Texas as a Republican state for a while in the future because this is not where people are at. They want, they want election security. So Jason, I mean, what's wrong with saying I, make sure, I want everyone to vote? I don't care what your politics are, where you come from, or your, your color, your race, your religion, your sexual preference. I want everyone to vote, but I want to make sure it's you. Yeah. We can't, that's... We, we can't allow for fraud.
2: Now, look, this election in 2022 will be a lot about common sense and some very basic things about border security and security at home, economic security, uh, but just talking common sense and doing that the right way. Sean, we're, we're out of time. We got to go to a commercial break, but Sean Duffy, uh, one of the best members I got to serve with, um, poured his heart and soul into it. And Sean, I can't thank you enough for joining us here today on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Jason, thanks for having me on. And I love – I just put my TV on. I'm like, there's Jason Chaffetz again. He's everywhere. And now he's on radio. So I love listening and watching you. You're doing an awesome job. And uh, thank you for being
2: such a strong defender of um, of liberty and freedom and a conservative value. So uh, keep it up, brother. Love you. All right. Thanks. We'll be back more with The Brian Kilmeade Show right after this.
1: Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
5: Well, first of all, make it very clear whose side we're
6: on here, okay, the, and, and why they're doing this. People are in the street because they want liberty from Marxism and we're with them. Number two, make abundantly clear to, to, the, uh, to the regime in Cuba that the Trump policies aren't going to change because that's what they're hoping is going to come out of this. Well, you see how bad things are here? If only you guys would lift the embargo, if only you guys would eat sanctions, maybe things would be better for the people of Cuba. Come out right now and say we're done with our review. We're keeping the Trump policies that allow the military to enrich itself at the expense of the people.
2: That was uh, Marco Rubio, Senator Marco Rubio on Hannity last night. um, And he's been on top of this Cuba issue from the get go. Um, And one of the most important voices and probably the most important voice in the United States Senate uh, with his ties to Cuba and and certainly representing uh, the state of Florida. But there are some really interesting things, things we haven't seen spontaneously happen in Cuba in a long, long time. And this is an opportunity. These uprisings, when they see and feel the support of the United States of America, really make a difference. They do get communication, even though they put a blockade on it. Um, And it is an important, uh, a really important um, time, I think, given that uh, the Castro brothers have have passed along. Let's listen to Representative Carlos Jimenez. He's a a congressman from Florida, Republican from Florida. He immigrated from Cuba back in 1960.
7: The people of Cuba want their freedom. They want freedom to speak freely. They want freedom of the press. They want free and democratic elections. Uh, They want...
5: His name is jonathan but you get the
8: picture we're going to bring it every single day whatever you want to
2: call us we'll respond to we just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day and while you're here we hope you subscribe to the podcast like subscribe and share
7: basic human rights which have been denied to them for 60 years and so what you're seeing now is the young people that have actually grown up in the system have figured out hey this system doesn't work for us it doesn't work for anybody it has never worked for anybody and we want freedom the cuban government has, uh, cannot pay their bills, and they haven't been able to pay their bills for years. So credit is being denied to them. That's why the shortages they have of food and medicines and all that, all because of the failed economic policies of communism. And let's call it what it is.
2: It is. It's failed communism. And you know who's been silent on this? You haven't heard a word. You haven't heard a peep. I don't have a a clip to play from Bernie Sanders, who was praising Castro and his regime in the past. But these people have been living under a communist rule, and it does not work. So it's an important uh, period in time here. The American people, I think if we can stand behind them, let them know that we love the people of Cuba. We want nothing but their freedom. Most of all, that will make a difference. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kilmeade. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
9: It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, I'm Jason Chaffetz. Uh, I'm filling in for Brian Kilmeade today. I'm honored to do so. And uh, lots to talk about, you know, a lot of consequential things going on in the world. I think one of the big things that didn't, didn't happen during the election, and there were a lot of them, but I think American people were really, um, it was a real disservice when they didn't have the third debate. Because the third debate was supposed to be about foreign policy. And that foreign policy is so pivotal to, our place in the world but also what happens here in the united states and we see consequential things happening in the middle east you see it with iran you see it uh with russia you see it um playing out right now in cuba where democrats are blaming the trump sanctions as as you know people that's what they're protesting instead of the the perspective that you see from like a senator rubio senator cruz others saying no look they don't like communism and they recognize how how pushy that is on them and 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 if they they're pushing back and they're saying you know what there is a better smarter way we want freedom we want liberty we want to have prosperity in our country but the other big thing that we never heard the candidates talk about um and certainly is a contrast between what donald trump was doing and the way joe biden is looking at things has to do with china and it it, the, the relationship with china is changing uh, china in many ways is on the march and so i'm i'm thrilled to bring on somebody who i've had a chance to get to know and interact with and, and do some things while he was in government and now that he's leaving government but that's uh alex gray he uh, was the deputy assistant to president trump and he was the chief of staff to the white house national security Council. Uh, when Robert O'Brien was the National Security Advisor. He's now a senior fellow at the American Foreign Policy Council. So, Alex, thanks for joining us today.
8: Thanks so much for having me, Jason.
2: So uh, he's got a fascinating uh, article and it's out in National Review and it's it says the federal government can't counter China on its own, which really begs the question, if it's not just our federal government that can counter and is going to have an impact on China, what is it, who is it, how is it that states and others are going to be playing a role? So Alex, Dive deep into this a little bit and explain to us what you mean and why what's going on in the states also really affects our policy towards China.
8: Well, thanks, Jason. I appreciate the chance to talk about this. So, you know, obviously the Constitution delegates the conduct of foreign policy to the federal government, but in a competition as complex as the one that we're in with China, uh, the states have a huge uh, stakeholder here and and there's a lot that the states can do to determine the conduct of this relationship. So for instance, let's take uh, public employee pensions, you know, that are, that are done on the state level rather than at the federal level. You look at states like New York and California, you know, which for years were investing their public employees' uh, retirement funds in a company called HickVision, which makes the surveillance technology that China uses to oppress the Uyghurs in Xinjiang. Uh, you look in, in California at the public employee retirement system, CalPERS, which for years was investing in Chinese entities that had direct ties to the Chinese military. So, you know, we, we have multiple instances of states that uh, have a direct ability to shape the, the state of the relationship with China. It's not all decided in Washington.
2: Yeah, but they, so these people literally have billions of dollars to invest. And and if you're a retiree out there, if you've had public service, you've been involved in the gauge in the state, and there are millions of people that have, they worked hard, they're, pay, they're patriotic uh, people, and part of the deal is they get a retirement. But these retirement funds, which they so, you know, they invest, and, and they try to take advantage of it. But why is it that they are out there investing, some of them directly, into, say, you know, China um, and using, say, teachers' retirement systems and making these investments in things that, if you just do some due diligence, are directly contradictory to basic human rights and some other core things that are out
8: there. You know, part of it was the general kind of ignorance, I think, that that permeated how all elements of American society treated our relationship with China going back to when the Clinton administration let them into the World Trade Organization. So, you know, we, we spent the last several years trying to, to, you know, right the ship, so to speak, and get the relationship on, on a better footing. But, you know, when you talk about the human rights angle, that's that's one angle. And and there's obviously, uh, if you're doing business with the Chinese military or, or entities affiliated with it, you're directly strengthening our, our number one pure competitor. But But it's even more than that, Jason. It's also – by doing by investing in, in these entities, you know you're putting the hard-earned savings of American workers at risk because the Chinese government doesn't have to a- abide by the same sort of accounting rules and securities rules that U.S. companies do. You know, there's actually a law in China that says that the, the companies are prohibited, even if they're listed on U.S. stock exchanges, from following American accounting and securities regulations. So it's a huge risk for hard-working Americans for their retirement funds to be invested in these entities.
2: Well, you know, and that's what's fascinating about this and and I don't if you've been following it all about this uh, DD uh, company, this is essentially Uber in China, and there were a lot of recommendations like from others uh, that uh, they should be involved and engaged and invest but as soon as this investment happened, guess what? The Chinese government kind of turned on them, and there are going to be a lot of people who lost a lot of American money here uh, that was recommended by some very big, large investment organizations.
8: Well, you know, it's it, it, it's a, a great example of how everything in China is politicized. The the Chinese Communist Party, which is the government, essentially make decisions based on its own self-interest, on the ability of the party to continue its control. Um, so anyone who thinks that, that they're going to be making decisions based on anything other than the self-interest of the party and the party elite, uh, they have another thing coming. And that's why we have to be so careful when, whether it's the federal government and the federal employee pension plans or it's state government, and you know it's it's beyond pension plans too, right? It's It's also When there's inbound investment, when Chinese uh, companies and entities are coming into states and they're making decisions about, you know, building a factory or or making investment in that state, governors and legislatures need to understand this is potentially – they're now putting themselves hostage – To China's political whims. You know, we've seen this all over the world. We've seen it with Taiwan, with the Philippines, with Norway. You know, in Norway, uh, the Chinese decided they didn't like who got a Nobel Peace Prize. So they embargoed the salmon exports from Norway. You know, you're now in a position if you let Chinese investment into your state, um, you you very likely are going to find yourself in in a spot where if you're legislature, your state university, your governor does something that the Chinese Communist Party doesn't like, you're now putting your state uh, hostage to Chinese economic aggression. Wow.
2: Uh, look, it's a fascinating article there in National Review. Um, you've had such an interesting perspective. I mean, National Security Council work, um, you're going to see up thing, things up close and personal and highly confidential and, and classified. I, I don't want to get into too much classified information here, but Give us your take on what you see happening in Cuba, because the Democrats are trying to spin this off as, "Hey, it was the Trump administration putting sanctions on the people of of, of Cuba that's causing these people to get out in the streets." What they really want is they really want to get rid of the American
8: sanctions. Well, the the uh, the truth of that, obviously, Jason, as you know, is w- for years we 've had exemptions to the embargo for food aid and for medical supplies, and we provide millions of dollars in, in medical supplies to the people of Cuba on a regular basis so there's there's no truth to the idea that the embargo is in any way constricting the ability of of the people in Cuba to get uh, to get the relief they need. The reality is that the, the government of Cuba, obviously for 60 years, has been oppressing its own people. They've been exporting revolution abroad. They've been taking the policies that have devastated their island and putting it in places like Venezuela. Um, you, you look at the Cuban health system, which you know we've been told is such a great example for the United States and, and for the world. There's a scabies outbreak going on right now in, in Cuba, and, and there's basic medicine. This is this is stuff that you can get in a drugstore in the United States. And they don't even have basic medicine to treat it in Cuba. And the, uh, the doctors, the Cuban doctors, are essentially hostages of the, uh, of the state of Cuba and are exported abroad to conduct what they call medical diplomacy, uh, but what human rights groups call human trafficking. Um, they're essentially the, the Cuban doctors are essentially held hostage by the state and used as uh, as pawns of their their revolution abroad. So, you know, the idea that the United States has any culpability here is is just ludicrous.
2: Well, look, less than 100 miles off the coast of Florida, this is a very important strategic place for the United States. And there are so many Cuban Americans that we know, we love, we care for. And they have loved ones there, and with the Castro brothers uh, out of the mix now, um, it is a pivotal time. And how this administration um, deals with this uh, is so important. We need to let them know that um, you know what uh, we care about them, and we're with the with the uh, the Cuban people as they seek freedom and liberty. They're waving the American flag and sometimes we see people here burning the American flag. It's just absolutely amazing to you. Before I let you go, Alex, though, I've got to get your your take on Haiti because um I, I you know, just reading the newspaper every day and kind of looking online, I didn't see this coming. The you know, the assassin assassination of the president there. What do you see playing out in Haiti right now?
8: Well, it's you know obviously there's been instability in Haiti for a long time, and and they had an earthquake about 10 years ago sure. that was uh, that was devastating, and and uh, still really haven't fully recovered. You know this, the United States has a, a leadership role to play in Latin America, and it's particularly important because you look where the Chinese have been investing billions of dollars in that region. Um, And and we really haven't played the leadership role over the last several decades that we should. So this is a great opportunity for us to, to find ways from a humanitarian standpoint to stand with the people of haiti and to show the entire region that that we're we're the leaders here this is uh this is america's backyard we have cultural ties we have economic ties there are hundreds of thousands of haitian Americans um we we stand with them and we're, we're going to be there and uh, this is not the time for them to turn to beijing or to moscow or to any other outside power
2: yep yeah this is right there is only one united states of america and they're right in our backyard we have lots of Haitian, Haitian Americans. Um, and, uh, you got these two things playing out so close to our border. I did go to Haiti after the earthquake. I was there probably, oh gosh, a year or so after it was amazing how hard it was to rebuild back what was going on. I thought some of the the foundations and the the do-gooders that came in, they didn't really do much at all. I mean, you, you look at what the Clinton Foundation and some of these others, boy, they had a lot of photo ops. But boy, uh, in terms of actually really making a difference in people's lives, I didn't see it and I was down the ground. I will give a shout out to Sean Penn. I thought his organization was probably the most productive when you got to actually walk on the ground and see what was happening. And certainly the generosity and instantaneous response that the Americans gave uh, to help the people of Haiti uh, when they had that devastating earthquake. But Alex, uh, thank you for your service. You know what? You're, you're one of the guys behind the scenes that played such a pivotal role there with Robert O'Brien um, as the chief of staff in a highly complex world there in the Trump administration. So thanks for your service and and uh, uh, fascinating article there in National Review if anybody wants to look at it. But Alex, uh, thank you so much for joining us today on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
8: Thanks for having me, Jason. I appreciate it. All
2: right. Lots happening in the world. Cuba, crime, police, voting, Katie, uh, you know, CRT, fires, uh, Hunter Biden, uh, which I hope to talk to uh, talk about as well. So there's more coming up on the Brian Kilmeade show. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: Diving deep into today's top stories. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network,
9: download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
0: Yes, I support the defund movement because this is about the, the um, investment in our communities which have historically been divested. Not only do we need to defund, but we need to dismantle and start anew.
10: Why use the word defund? Why use the word defund? And it's like, this is the word that's coming from the streets.
11: Defund the police does not mean abolish the police. It means a dramatic reduction in the number of police in our poor communities. I am for defunding the police. Look, the reality is we can't rely upon the police
2: to provide public safety.
7: It's a moment to reimagine policing, to take things off the shoulders. and What we also want is a reconception of how we achieve public safety.
0: How do we take out many of the responsibilities that police officers are now dealing with by investing more into housing, into education, into these other things? You know, in in many cities in America, over one-third of their city budget goes to police. So we have to have this conversation.
2: What are we doing? Uh, hi, I'm Jason Chavits. I'm filling in for Brian Kilmeade. And that was an array of Democrats who took some pretty strong positions about defunding the police. Kamala Harris there, the vice president, uh, with the last quote there. Uh, what are we doing? Um, you know, that is a big question that America is asking. What are we doing When people suggest we want to defund the police, it's almost as if the Democrats actually went out and did some polling and they realized that the American people actually love their police departments. Yeah, there's been some really bad, horrific things happen with a handful of rogue police officers. But if you want safety, security and you want the rule of law in your country, like I think most Americans want to do. Guess what you need to have a strong and vibrant police department. you want to know that police officer not because you've had to get pulled over, but because they're part of your community that they engage and you know what when they talk about these Democrats talk about defunding the police, you know who gets harmed the most. The people that get harmed the most are the people that are in those cities, those inner cities that rely upon these police officers to keep the law in order and you know what the Wealthy people in this country, they're going to help take care of it themselves, and um, they still need a vibrant police department. But when New York City goes out and says, hey, we have nearly 500 people that are undercover police officers that are going to work on a preventive basis and do some investigation before crime happens or as crime happens or once it has happened, And then you say, we're not going to have any undercover police officers here in New York City. Are you kidding? You don't think that there's going to be a consequence? Democrats are going to pay a stiff political price for doing so. They are now changing their tunes because, again, I think the Democrats that I know, that I've interacted with, that I've heard, that I've seen, they went out and pulled this thing. And it is not the first time that they have whiplash in changing the direction of how they feel about something. But They have been the ones that have advocated defunding the police. It was an absolute joke and atrocity to think, oh, Republicans want to do this. I don't know of a single Republican. You can't put up a single conversation or throw something up that says, yeah, what we need is less policing. We need less police officers. We need police officers on the beat. We need prosecutors who prosecute these crimes. We need to get the confidence back in the American people that these things are going to be dealt with fairly, honestly, and that Lady Liberty is going to have that blindfold on but is going to administer justice. The people that are flowing in and want to be part of America, they want this as well. That's what the United States is about, life, about liberty. It's also about justice and making sure that we have a strong and vibrant community. We'll be back with more.
9: Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details.
1: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, I'm Jason Chaffetz. I am not Brian Kilmeade.
2: I'm filling in for Brian. Um, He's taking a little, very much needed. It's a little R&R, and good for him. He's like the hardest working guy in all of Fox. It's unbelievable what he's able to do and how much time he spends. But, uh, again, uh, I look forward. We've got a great hour. We've got a great set of guests that's coming up. And I want to get right after it because... Um, I, I just thrilled and honored to have Robert O'Brien. Robert was the National Security Advisor to President Trump. Uh, he, Prior to that, he was the Chief Hostage Negotiator um, with uh, uh, for Donald Trump's uh, State Department there. Fascinating human being, uh, great service to our country. Uh, somebody I've gotten to know, I knew him before the Trump administration, during the Trump administration, and and doing some things with him now that he's left the administration. But thrilled to have Robert joining us. Robert, thanks for joining the Brian Kilmeade Show.
6: Hey, Jason, great to be with you. I was told it was going to be Brian Kilmeade. That's why I, I got on the show. So, uh,
2: hey, I, know, I, I mastered.
6: out of Brian for me, but it's super to be with you, my friend.
2: Hey, I mastered bait and switch <laughs> a long time ago. You know, so <laughs> it's worked. I, I've got you on the line, and I'm not letting you off. So thanks for joining us.
6: Hey, it's super to be
2: with you, So there's a lot happening in the world. And, you know, you had such an incredible perspective there as the national security advisor for President Trump. Uh, I want to get your take on a a few hotspots around the world and um, your thoughts on what's going on in Cuba, because it's interesting to me that the Democrats are out there saying, well, it was the oppressive, um, you know, sanctions that the Trump administration, that's what they're trying to escape. And yet I hear Republicans like Marco Rubio and others saying, no, these people want freedom, liberty and prosperity.
6: Well, you have to listen to what the Cuban people are are saying. And the the crowds are out chanting libertad. Uh, They're asking for liberty. You know, the the, the first spin from the State Department and and from uh, some of the the progressives, because, you know, Cuba is the socialist paradise that they've held up as a paragon of great health care and literacy. Uh, except for the fact that it's a tyranny and it has secret police goons that that knock on people's doors in the middle of the night and and suppress religious freedom. Except for that, it's terrific. And so the the first spin that came out was that this was a protest against COVID-19. And uh, that's not what the people were protesting. They were protesting because they want their freedom. They want their liberty. They want religious uh, freedom. And so, uh, you know, we need to stand with the Cuban people. I, I was heartened to see that the administration on Sunday night, Jake Sullivan, the new National Security Advisor, came out with a tweet uh, standing by the protesters. And, and President Biden had a, a decent statement yesterday. Uh, but we need to do more. We, number one, we need to invoke the Monroe Doctrine, which says that foreign governments can't be involved in and in colonize uh, countries in the Western Hemisphere. And we need to make sure that we keep the Russians and the Chinese from doing in, in Cuba what they did in Syria to prop up the Assad regime. And uh, we need to keep them out. Uh, number two, we need to let Miguel Diaz-Canal, the, the Presidente of, of Cuba, it was just the Castros but with better hair and a better suit, and we need to let him know that his regime will be held personally accountable uh, for any crimes against the, the Cuban people and, and uh, violations of the human rights. And, and, and next, we need to make sure that the Cuban regime is under maximum pressure. This is not the time to relax sanctions and give a lifeline to the regime. Uh, this is the time to, to double down and to, to isolate the regime and, give the, again, give the Cuban people what they want, which is libertad, which is liberty and freedom. It's what we all want and yearn for uh, in our hearts. And uh, and there are some Democrats that have stood by the Cuban people. Uh, Menendez, uh, Senator Menendez has been good on this front and, and others. So this is really a bipartisan issue. We need to, to stand by the Cuban people
2: at this time. Does, does the united states need to prepare for uh, sort of a mass exodus something like we have seen in the past i mean will we see a flow of of mass migration happen to florida
6: you know that that's always a possibility in, in these situations and it, and, it, and it's one of the things the cuban regime has done in the past as a safety valve to, to get rid of the quote troublemakers that the people that really want liberty is to let them come to the the home of liberty the home of freedom is the united states but uh, again what, what a great thing it would be Jason think about this we, we've got so many tyrants we've had democracy crushed in in Hong Kong we have tyrants running you know wild around the the, the world how great would it be for the free world for the, the free people to, of the earth to see Cuba in 2021 get its freedom and what what a message that would send to the dictators and the the, the tyrants and the authoritarians to the Gs and the Putins and the Molas. Uh, to see Cuba get its freedom with, with the, the pandemic and all the bad news we've had over the past couple of years, wouldn't it be great and heart, heart, heartwarming for the free people of this, this world uh, to see Cuba get its free, you know, freedom and its liberty. It would, you know, so we, we've got to do everything we can to help the Cuban people. It would be a, it would be great for them, but I think it would be great for the whole free world and, and, you know, remind everybody what we're, what we're fighting for.
2: Yeah. And, and with such close proximity, less than a hundred miles off our coast, um, and so many Cuban-Americans that we love and care for and culturally, it's, it is it is such a pivotal time. But also right off our shores, not too far, is Haiti. And, uh, you know, reading the basic news, I didn't see this coming, but suddenly they are diving deeper into chaos in a country that is very difficult. You know, after the earthquake, it, it's they've had such an incredibly difficult time recovering from that. But now... They've got some chaos happening. What's your perspective on what's happening in Haiti?
6: Yeah, Haiti is another one of these heartbreaking places, and it's been heartbreaking our entire lives, Jason. I mean, we've seen it from the time we were, you know, first getting involved in, in politics as, as you know young guys in college, and uh, and all the way through. It's uh, it, it's a it's a very sad situation. You have an elite there uh, that are corrupt. Uh, we don't have the rule of law. Uh, we, we've seen. Chaos because of the natural disasters, the hurricanes, the, the earthquake, and and there are, there have been so many good Americans and 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 people that have tried to help the people of Haiti. I think even someone who's on the on the other side of the the, uh, the political spectrum from us, but Sean Penn has done uh, American actor has done done great work down there, and many others uh, to try and help the Haitian people. And they're they're great people. We have a lot of great Haitian Americans who are living here. Yeah, you know, we we know a lot of them. Uh, one of our our former ambassadors in the Bush administration, Pierre Prosper, is a a great Haitian American. So, you know, they they certainly have the capability and the capacity to have a a democracy and a a strong government there. But it's it's the corruption and the, uh, uh, you know, some some of the, uh, the, the lack of rule of law. And so we need to help Haiti strengthen its institutions. And, you know, there have been calls for American troops to go into Haiti, but I think the American people know that nation building and and the U.S. sending the 101st in isn't going to bring democracy to the country. It hasn't worked out very well uh, as we've gone and tried nation build But we do we need to support the Haitian people as they uh, they fight corruption and, and seek a, a legitimate government to uh, to represent them.
2: Yeah, the the uh, the, the Haitian people. We, look, we we love them, we care for them. It is devastating, and when you go there to see the type of poverty that they're living in, is is so difficult to see. Um, but they they do need to take care of themselves and and after the earthquake, there were a lot of do gutter organizations that went in there uh, a lot of not for profits that had a lot of good photo ops but didn 't necessarily do good things but I saw it close and personal I thought sean penn 's organization was doing as good a stuff as, as as there was, and the immediate relief, quite frankly from the United States to provide water and medicine that was that that was inspirational because uh, we really did get good supplies in there very very quickly um, but now I got to transition well, to another part of like the U- world <clears throat> yeah there's nothing like the US Navy in a, in a crisis like that to, to move
6: in yeah. food and water immediately with our with our, our big warships and and the humanitarian uh,
2: impulses of our of our
6: sailors who are willing to take great personal risk to, to save people's lives and I, I agree with you that was that was really inspirational
2: yeah they it really was um I, all right I got to move to another topic because um, the ransomware issue has really I hope everybody understands how devastating this this can be to the United States of America. And it continues to happen. And, you know, one of the policy things that I really struggled with is if you know that there is somebody that is attacking the United States of America electronically, coming in, whether trying to steal funds or shut them down with ransomware, I think one of the interesting policy things is what do you do about that as a country? I mean, this can be everybody from a guy in a van down by the river to a nation state or something in between, but how do you fire or fight back, particularly if they're outside the borders and confines of the United States of America?
8: Well,
6: we have some tremendous cyber tools and and we've got the best uh, coders and software geniuses in the world here in Silicon Valley and Austin and then up in your old district, and in uh, and Provo, Orem, and uh, Washington D.C. and, and uh, Northern Virginia. And what we have to do is we have to turn our our folks' attention to, to being offensive. But when we get hit with ransomware, we've got to trace it back. We've got to take out the computers of the and the, the networks of the. Uh, and it's not easy, but but it's something that can be done uh, of those that are inflicting this harm on America. I, I'm waiting for a real tragedy to take place, and we're gonna have a hospital to get shut down and and kids and the elderly are going to die because some hospital isn't able or or doesn't want to be doesn't want to succumb to a ransomware attack and uh, or some electrical grids going to get shut down, and there's gonna be, be death and destruction. we've We've got to get on this now, but we also have to send a message to the authoritarian regimes that allow this ransomware, these ransomware hackers to to thrive in their uh, countries, whether it's China, North Korea, or the Russia. Uh, nothing happens in those countries, uh, Iran, uh, without the approval, or at least the tacit approval of the regime. And, and the regime has to understand if, if we're attacked on a, on a ransomware front by criminal organizations or quasi governmental organizations or even organizations that have links to the government um, in, in those countries, so we're going we're gonna to take similar measure, measures in response. Uh, folks need to, it's peace or strength. We need to deter. Uh, attacks on our country by by letting folks know that there will be a reciprocal attack on their country or a reciprocal response if if this continues to happen because we're, you know we're one ransomware attack away from a, a real human tragedy.
2: Yeah, I think about the uh, electrical grid. I think you're right with hospitals and all right, uh, Robert. I'm running out of time. We're on with Robert O'Brien, the former National Security Advisor, but I want to talk last bit here in the last couple of minutes that we have um about china and the investment that americans are making into china uh, have this have a listen here and there's a couple clips i want to play for you but this is jim kramer over at cnbc uh back in uh, june he was talking about a company called Didi, which is essentially uber in china encouraging as much investment
12: as possible Didi. d-i-d-i that's the Chinese version of Uber that's coming public on Wednesday. This company has a stranglehold on China. the thrive sharing market they own it. They crushed their competitors and then bought them up when they got tired of losing money. That includes Uber China. Didi's also got some really huge backers. Chinese tech giants like Alibaba and Tencent, a Japanese conglomerate like SoftBank, even Apple's in Didi. Finally, based on the proposed price range, which values DD at around $65 billion, I think the valuation seems eminently reasonable. Now, there are some antitrust concerns here, but as long as they stay on the Communist Party's good side, and I know it's probably hard to do, but as long as they do, I doubt they'll have much trouble with the regulators. So if you want to speculate on a Chinese IPO, you've got my blessing to bet on Didi. I would try to get as many shares as you can.
2: Get as many shares as you can. Now, the conventional wisdom of the past was, hey, invest in a Chinese company because, hey, they don't have regulators. They have the Communist Party. They'll just, you know, make everything uh, well for you. And so take your American money. Go ahead and invest over there. But now listen to Jim Cramer on July
12: 6th because he changed his tune. The government has basically said, we don't care about Americans. We Do whatever you want. I mean, Didi, we, we kind of told them, we gave them a wink and a nod that they went to the deal anyway. So screw you, America. I mean, I just think that you can't buy these stocks. Uh, and every time I try it, I get hurt. This is it. Didi says enough. And the companies that bring these deals, we got to examine what they, what they knew. I mean, I was surprised that Gary Gensler did not have a statement this morning saying, I'm calling everybody now. And we're going to ask them, what did they know and when did they know it? That's what we need an SEC chairman to do. And I like Kensler, but he should have been on it now.
2: Robert, I've only got like, I've got less than a minute here. Uh, what is the risk by investing in China? And look at what happened to Didi.
6: Well, when you investing in China, your investment in the Chinese Communist Party, every single company, whether it's purportedly private or not, is it, 100% control in China is 100% controlled by the party. And, and you're investing the party, and you're investing this in the same people that want to have world domination, that are that are committing genocide against the Uyghurs, that have shut down democracy in Hong Kong, that have brutally suppressed Tibet, that are seeking to invade Taiwan. And, and, and you're helping them build a military to to, to defeat us and, and, and dominate the United States of America. So it's the old Marxist-Leninist trope of uh, we'll sell the capitalists the rope that they'll hang themselves with. Uh, don't invest in China. It's dangerous for your investment. It's It's dangerous for the country. Larry Kudlow and I pushed this very hard in the administration, and uh, and we've got to stop this, this kind of investment now.
2: Robert O'Brien, former National Security Advisor, former Chief Hostage Negotiator for the United States of America. Can't thank you enough for joining us today on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be back with more. Stay with us.
1: Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts
9: Network.
0: My name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will I humbly say, single-handedly save the world.
9: You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to
1: foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
2: Well, you're almost with Brian Kilmeade. I'm with Jason. Ch- I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian. Um, he's taking a much needed break, but he'll be back soon. But uh, I'm honored to do so. And uh, I want to talk real briefly about the fires that are out west. Now, if you're out on the East Coast, maybe you don't quite understand the, the, what's going on out here. But if you are out west, boy, you are living, breathing, and can't see uh, your hand in front of you because the wildfires are just going nuts and. Keep in mind the perspective out west. Uh, we got a lot of forest. We got a lot of open space. Uh, my own state of Utah, about about 70% is owned by the federal and state government. Uh, Nevada's like 90%. Most of these public lands are, are out west. But that means that the federal government makes these decisions about how to manage these forests, not the private uh, entities. And over the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years, we have been living with these radical leftist liberal um policies that basically don't want to touch the forest at all and the problem is it creates a fuel that once it does light up whether it's man-made or it's because of lightning guess what we have sometimes hundreds of thousands of acres that will be torched all of that goes in the air and we have a problem because these environmentalists are saying look you don't want to clear out the underbrush we don't want to thin the forest we want they are opposed to managing the forest such that you can create a thriving vibrant forest that has wonderful wildlife in it but they don't want to do that they don't want to clear out the underbrush and then all of a sudden it does catch on fire and then we all suffer The environmental consequences. So the irony here is these environmentalists say, oh, we got to have these policies and, you know, let's not get rid of the bark beetle. Let's not, which kills a lot of these trees and makes them drier than you can ever possibly imagine. Let's not clear out the underbrush. Let's not do these types of things. We want it to just be natural. But that is far worse for the environment because ultimately they catch on fire, they light up, these tenders just go crazy, people put their lives on the line trying to put these fires out, and the consequence is we have this horrific air. You, you try to go outside right now in the West and exercise or get out and enjoy the wildlife up there in, you know one of our national parks and stuff, it's hard to breathe. And that's the consequence of bad public management of these public assets. It does, you can tell it fires me up because we should be managing these forests and we can have the best of all worlds, but we can't live with these rules and these regulations that these radical environmentalists want to put into place. Change that and we will change the way we breathe and we will have a better, smarter country. Stay with us. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download
1: podcasts. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: What do you think about the possibility that baseball decides to move their all-star game out of Atlanta because of this political issue
4: i think today's professional athletes are acting incredibly responsibly i would strongly support them doing that people look to them they're leaders look at what's happened with the nba as well look at what's happened across the board the very people who are victimized the most are the people who are the leaders in these in these various sports and it's just not right this is jim crow on steroids what they're doing in in georgia
2: Wow. That was President Joe Biden encouraging the all-star game for Major League Baseball to move from Atlanta. It did. It's moving to Denver, Colorado. The devastation that's going to happen in Georgia is is very significant. Um, And we want to bring on to get perspective there in Georgia, the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us here today.
13: Morning, Jason. Thanks for inviting me.
2: You know, this is on the list, uh, my list of places where Democrats have really flipped and flopped on this. Um, They're still aggressive about voting rights and whatnot, but you had some people who were advocating changing the All-Star game. And in my theory, my guess, um, and again, it's just a guess, is that there's no way Major League Baseball moved that game out of Georgia with the without the tacit approval of the white house itself you certainly had stacy abrams out there advocating for the move there in georgia but now she acts as if hey you know i didn't nothing i didn't do that i mean she had an op ed in usa today and they went back and they literally changed the op ed as if nobody was ever going to notice but what's your take on it as the secretary of state there in georgia
13: Based moving the game is based on a lie. It's Stacey Abrams' lie. And then once she got found out, she had her hand in the proverbial cookie jar. She said, oh, and she did a 180. Our law that we passed, SB 202, had common sense measures in it. When I ran in 2018, I said, we need to move away from signature match. It's inefficient, it's time-consuming, but it also is very subjective. And we need to move to an objective standard such as driver's license number. That's what we did in this bill. So use driver's license number. If you don't have that, your last four digits, of your social security number, and then also your birthday, day, month, year. Very objective. And guess what, Jason? It's being used currently in Minnesota with a Democrat secretary of state, Democrat governor. They like it up there. Why is Georgia being held to one standard and yet, Blue states are using this right now. It's being used currently in red states, blue states. It's a it's a nonpartisan. It's an objective measure. And so now she's flip-flopped. And that's what she'll do. But her whole campaign running for governor was based on it was based on voter suppression. She she knew that if she found a hot-button issue, issue, that that may help her get, get votes. And so what she did is she did some poll testing. And that word "voter suppression" was a hot button issue, and she's been running that scam now for five years, and it's been very profitable for her.
2: Yeah, the, the, listen, the way Democrats across the board, nationally, locally, have tried to describe and articulate what this bill does, they're just platitudes. They're they're up at sixty thousand feet, and yet I have not heard a Democrat criticize one very specific part of the bill they just take these sweeping generalizations and attack the bill but they don't actually say we are opposed to this particular thing and i think that's very telling
13: well if you look at what we did is we've set all 159 counties yes we have 159 counties we have a lot of them but we said that everyone has to have the same number minimum number of Early voting dates, and we raised it from 16 up to 17. So we expanded early voting. We say counties that want to do Sunday voting, you can have two Sundays of early voting. And then we finally said counties, we want to keep those lines short like we had in November. were, We're going to make it required in state law that lines have to be less than one hour. That's very good. We also added absentee ballot drop boxes in law. Last year, we did that as an emergency measure for COVID, but only 139 of our 159 counties actually had drop boxes. So we said, if we're going to do drop boxes, every county needs to have at least one, and then we'll just base it on population. It's never been easier to register, easier to vote in Georgia, and now I believe we have a great balance between accessibility and security.
2: Well, listen. We're talking to Brad Raffensperger. He, uh, you know what you're talking about. You're there. You're the Secretary of State there. But it has become nationally a political hot button and uh, hot potato. Um, with the All Star Game coming up, um, uh, there are going to be some ads running in this game. Let's go to cut eight and listen to one ad that's going to come out um, from Get Georgia Right.
0: Tonight's all-star game was supposed to be in Atlanta, but Democrats who oppose voter ID lied about our election law and pressured baseball to move the game. Do you absolutely agree that it's racist? It is a redux of Jim Crow. Some people don't want some people to vote. What do you think about the possibility that baseball decides to move their all-star game out of Atlanta?
4: I would strongly support them doing that.
0: Aren't you tired of Democrats pushing politics in sports?
4: Yeah,
2: I mean, those are quotes from Senator Warnock, uh, President Joe Biden, Stacey Abrams. Um, And I wanna listen to just one other ad before I get Brad Raffensperger to react to them. This is the Republican National Committee's ad that they're gonna run during the All-Star Game.
11: This was supposed to be Atlanta's night, but we were robbed. Democrats stole our All-Star Game to push their divisive political agenda. Politicians and corporations lie while black communities got hurt the most, even though a majority of black voters
0: support laws like voter ID. To Democrats, it's just a game, but we're the ones who got played. The Republican National Committee is responsible for the content of this advertising.
2: I mean, the minority-owned businesses, the small businesses there in Georgia, they're the ones that are going to be on the brunt of that. While they're sitting back watching the game played in Denver, it was supposed to be in Atlanta and all the economic benefit that was taken away by the Democrats.
13: Right. Well, someone was crowing early on that it was a $100 million hit to our economy. And what we know is that it's going to hurt small business, sole proprietorships, people, mom-and-pop operators, and those are the people you don't want to ever hurt. Uh, They struggle, and they really did struggle last year with COVID. Everything was shut down. This was an opportunity, made back a few dollars. So they're the ones that were hurt, and this was all based on a lie and so unfortunate. I wish that MLB would have called me. They would have called me. I could have sat down with them, talked to them, and just point by point explained what the law did and what it didn't do. There's so many things that said, that were said that it does do, and it doesn't do that at all. It actually makes sure that we have a way of identifying your absentee voters. We increased early voting days. It's a very balanced piece of legislation.
2: Well, you had some big based companies that are based companies that are in there in atlanta also take a swing at at at, uh, at you and essentially the law that was passed by the lawmakers there um i mean you had delta and coca-cola those are two of the biggest organizations on the planet and certainly in georgia
13: i think after people really started re- looking at the law i think that people now are sitting back and feeling oh Someone didn't give me the whole story. And that's why I like to always make sure I give everyone the whole story. Here's what the bill will do. Here's what the bill doesn't do. And we know the whole story. This is what we lived. We now have eight lawsuits that we're fighting on SB 202. One of those is from the activist of the Department of Justice. We are going to beat them because we are standing on the Constitution and we're standing on the law. So we're looking forward to our day in court so we can meet them and beat them.
2: Well, it's interesting because it's also playing out in Texas. I want to get your take on what's playing out in Texas because, look, we talk about voting and we're trying to give people more voting rights. And Democrats, it looks to me like they're trying to be a bunch of crybabies because rather than staying and actually voting on a bill about voting, uh, they have fled town getting on this private plane uh, flying to Dulles uh, there uh, outside of Washington, D.C., uh, there's a great, incredible picture you have to see if you haven't seen it already of the all these democratic lawmakers on a plane. none of them are wearing masks. Now I happen to think that's where we should be for the public. But if you get on a plane and decide to fly somewhere, everybody from your three-year-old up has got to wear masks but no, oh, these elitist Democrats are so tone deaf. And getting on this plane, flying out of the city, not voting, and then just saying, oh, well, hey, let's do our selfies out here in Dulles and show how how strong we are by not voting about a bill about voting.
13: Well, uh, I don't really talk about other states too often. Uh, What I will say is I don't believe in legislators cutting and running, running and hiding. I think that you really need to stand, make your best case, and then let the votes be where they are. I think that really goes to the individual integrity of your elected officials. And what I've shown is that I won't cut and run. I will stand in the gap. And I know that the last election cycle was very disappointing for my side of the aisle, your side of the aisle, for Republicans. But at the end of the day, we had these election results, and I had to just follow the law, follow the process. The rule of law at the end of the day is everything we're about in our office. And so it was a tough uh, loss for us, but I think that people need to just, you know, they get paid to do their job, and I think they need to then work on what they can get. If you look at SB202 coming back to Georgia, although the Democrats did not support this when it came, came time to vote, in the committee process, many of the measures that they wanted were incorporated in this bill because they were listened to, and I think that is very helpful for a constitutional republic.
2: All right. I'm not sure I can do this, but I want to try to do this. So to the producers back there in New York, I I think we have Henry on the line from WABC there in Brooklyn, who's got a comment. And then I'd like uh, Brad Raffensperger to uh, the secretary of state to respond to it. Henry, hey, this is uh, Jason Chaffetz. You're on the line. What's your what's your question?
14: Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. I really appreciate it. We're run a sustainability organization, so I called in about that. But once you start talking about the baseball, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not just a Yankees and Phillies fan. But at the end of the day, so when they move the the game out of Georgia, like Atlanta, we I have an office down there. I, I love Georgia. I have family in Savannah. The state the state has always been very uh, very incredible on, on vacations and time down there. But it's like a, a very heavily um it's a, it's an incredible diverse the culture in georgia is wonderful for my time down there visiting family but like there are many 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 black owned businesses in atlanta and in georgia so by taking the all-star game out of atlanta and out of georgia you ended up hurting black owned businesses to allegedly protect black owned yeah. vote to black voters and like that like I, I just don't locally across the state and across the city I just really felt that that really should have been a much stronger uh, viewpoint and consideration because, I mean, you had businesses very excited for the all-star game to be in Georgia and it just didn't happen in the end. So you ended up hurting the citizenry there more than anything.
2: Henry, thank you so much for your comment, but, Brad, Brad, I mean, they're making a good point. I think this is where the Democrats took it a step too far because the ramification was they they hurt the African-American community that was going to benefit from this.
13: Well, what I've always noticed, though, is Democrats tend to overreach. They get a little bit of momentum, and then all of a sudden they just take it you know, to the nth degree, and then they blow themselves up. And that's really what's going to happen here. I think what's that, what they've done is they've overreached, and then what they said was not supported by the facts, and when people really dug into it then they really get uh, irritated. I'm sure there's some backdoor conversations that you and I are part of that people are irritated. They felt they got played, and that's why they came out and they made the decisions they made. But Georgia is so... Positive, you know, and we're, we work so hard to encourage small business ownership, entrepreneurship, people moving to Georgia. We're such a dynamic place, very diverse, you know, all ethnic groups. We work together in Georgia. They're, they're say, saying that we coined, what, 40 years ago, the city too busy to hate, the state too busy to hate, is because we're so busy working and providing money for ourselves, for our families, and looking at how do we, you know, get a little piece of that slice of the American pie. And Georgia is just a great place to raise a family. Uh, I love it, but of course this is my home and I should, but uh, I just think it's a great place to live. And I'm really disappointed and disgusted that it turned out this way.
2: Uh, look, Georgia is one of my favorite places to to visit. Just absolutely wonderful people. A lot of good friends that I have there that live in, in throughout Georgia. And, uh, but you know what, uh, Senator Warnock, uh, uh, President Joe Biden and Stacey Abrams, you got exactly what you advocated, and that is to move the all-star game out of town. And so then the people of Georgia who would be filling up their hotels and restaurants and having the taxis and Ubers and and shopping in their in their stores and thinking about all the good things and all the millions of dollars they would have dropped there. You can go watch those dropped in Denver, Colorado. Um, I still think it'll probably be a pretty good game. um, But at the same time, it's just disgusting because, you know what, my personal take on this is people just want to watch a game. They they don't want politics injected into baseball. You know, they go to entertainment, go to a ball game, just want to enjoy it. Politics doesn't need to be everywhere all the time. Brad Raffensberger, the Georgia Secretary of State, we thank you so much for joining us today on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be back. Stay with us.
1: Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. from the fox news Podcasts network download and
9: listen to the one with craig gutfeld the co-host of the five like you've never heard him before you know him you love him you want to
1: be like him
9: subscribe and listen now by going to
1: foxnewspodcasts.com breaking news unique opinions hear it all on the brian kilmeade show
2: All right, I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kilmeade. It's an honor and privilege to do so. I've had a great uh, run and great luck with uh, Fox News. In fact, I have my own Fox News podcast. It's called Jason in the House. So wherever you might listen to podcasts, Jason in the House, just type it in. Have a listen. We dive deeper. We go deeper. We, we talk about what informs people. Like, how did they become who they are? And so a fascinating array of people, I think you're going to see there, it's called Jason in the House. Nobody can spell Japheth, so I went with Jason in the House. You can find it anywhere on podcasts, and I hope you have a chance to, to listen to it. All right, um, before we get to the top here of the hour, I, I, I want to talk to uh, a little bit about uh, vaccinations. And listen to this quote from Dr. Anthony Fauci, and then I want to give you my take on it.
12: It's ideological uh, rigidity, I think. There's no reason not to get vaccinated. Why are we having red states and places in the South that are very highly ideological in one way, not wanting to get vaccinations? Vaccinations have nothing to do with politics. And you know what,
2: Dr. Fauci, politics uh, have nothing to do with vaccinations. Uh, I happen to be a very conservative person. My wife and I, we both got vaccinated. But you know what? What Dr. Fauci doesn't understand, what he is pontificating on that he doesn't understand is that there is a thing called personal responsibility. And we have as adults here in the United States of America, the opportunity to make informed decisions. I personally think it's time for Dr. Fauci to go. I, I think he has overstayed his welcome when he can sit and you know, for some of these fashion magazines and sit for photo ops and do more interviews than you could possibly imagine. Boy, I thought I did a lot of interviews. Dr. Fauci is setting new records. Why don't you actually go out and do your job? But at this point, there are millions and millions of people who don't believe you because you have flip-flopped on so many of your issues. And that is as clear as day. Now, I recognize that there are different views on masks and how these things should work and not work. Does this vaccine work or not work? You know what? That's for an individual with their doctor's consultation. There are lots of reasons not to take a vaccination. What if you're pregnant? What if you're below the age of an approved um, uh, FDA drug? Uh, what if you've had that? You feel like you've had COVID and you don't want to get it again? What if you've had adva- adverse reactions to things? People get to make their self-determination. They shouldn't be judged if they do get it, and they shouldn't be judged if they don't get it. It is totally wrong for the federal government to send people out under Joe Biden's administration and go door-to-door and start knocking about this. So stop trying to make it, hey, it's a red state, blue state thing. No, it's about personal responsibility, personal choice. They get to make those decisions. Just provide us the information. And Dr. Fauci, it's time for you to go. We'll be back with the Brian Kilmeade show.
9: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, I'm Ben Dominich, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Dominich
1: Podcast.
9: Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnews.podcasts.com.
1: From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian Kilmeade. Um, You can go to thebriankilmeadeshow.com. That's the website. But I'm honored and privileged to fill in for Brian. One of the hardest working, uh, the hardest working person at Fox between all the different things and shows and specials that he does. Uh, it's, uh, it's great. Uh, very nice of him to allow me and to trust me with filling in for him. Uh, we got a great hour, lots to talk about. Um, and I want to get after and start talking about Hunter Biden. And there's probably nobody better to talk about the Biden family business and certainly Hunter Biden. Uh, Then our guest here, uh, Peter Schweizer. Uh, Peter Schweizer is just um, he is the president of the Government Accountability Institute. I have I'm doing some work with the Government Accountability Institute. Um, And I tell you, he is just when he did the Clinton cash book and these other books, um, just fascinating, deep dives, factually based. Uh, Peter, I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
10: Oh, it's great to be with you, Jason. Uh, thanks for having me, and uh, I'm glad we're compatriots in arms in fighting uh, corruption wherever we find it. Yeah,
2: you know, that's what it's all about, about openness, about transparency, about giving the American people the information you need. And, you know, I was the chairman of the Oversight Committee, and now the Government Accountability uh, Institute is is doing a lot of this work and digging through the the, the public files to get this information um, but, uh, you know, and there's also a podcast that you're involved in, engage with the drill down where you can dive even deeper into these issues. So I'd encourage people to have a look, listen to that, but, um, let's talk about, uh, some of the latest findings that you have about Hunter Biden. And, you know, I want you to listen, Peter, uh, to what Joe Biden has said time and time again about the fact that, Hey, I've never had a conversation with my son hunter about any of his business dealings mr vice president how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings
4: i've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. i have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses period
2: so peter what's your take on that i i don't believe it (laughs)
10: <laughs> well, you know, we have um, now the Hunter Biden emails uh, that show that that is categorically not true and false uh, on a number of levels. And let me just say, um, you know, Jason, stepping back, uh, we have the access uh, to the to the uh, Hunter Biden laptop. Uh, And we took a very skeptical view. We didn't accept it on face value. What we did was we took the Hunter Biden emails, we compared them with stuff that we already knew. So we have access to the Secret Service travel records of Hunter Biden that showed where he went and when he went with Secret Service protection. And we looked at the Hunter Biden emails and said, when the emails say he's gonna be in Dubai next week, do the Secret Service travel records indicate that he was? absolutely 100% they line up perfectly. We took the Hunter Biden emails, and then we compared them to the Bevan Cooney emails. Bevan Cooney, a Hunter Biden business partner, he granted us access to his Gmail account, so we literally go into his Gmail account, and we see that there are emails between Hunter Biden and Bevan Cooney, quite a few. Um, now we look at the collection we know is accurate, the Gmail account that we go into and look at and compare it with the Hunter Biden emails. Again, it matches 100%. So the emails of themselves, Hunter Biden has not denied their authenticity, speak to the fact that. There was a detailed, organized effort by Hunter Biden and his business partners to use access to the White House for their commercial benefit. Um, We know also that Joe Biden, as Vice President of the United States, was regularly meeting with either existing business partners or prospective business partners that they were seeking out and trying to recruit. Um, Some of these were actually off-the-book meetings. In other words, the meetings don't appear in the White House visitor logs. But when you go back and look at the Chinese officials in question, for example, they are actually talking in Chinese language media on blogs about how they met the vice president of the United States, uh, Joe Biden, in the White House. So that denial is categorically false 100 percent based on the correspondence that Hunter Biden himself has in the email collection.
2: Now, the other question about this is, you know, Joe Biden, on the one hand, during a political campaign, is lying, I believe, my personal take on it, uh, about his, did he or did he not have discussions with Hunter Biden? But this becomes, I think, even much more relevant when you start to look at all the different assets that are taxpayer funded, uh, whether it be Air Force Two or the residents uh, there, the Naval Observatory, when he was the vice president of the United States, these things become even more relevant because of the powerful political position uh, that Joe Biden had. And the question becomes, was there a direct um, financial benefit to Jill Biden and to Joe Biden by the actions of what Hunter Biden was doing?
10: Uh, Yes. And I say that on two levels, Jason. The first level is uh, there are numerous emails, but I point to one in particular where Hunter Biden is writing to the grandson of the former president of Mexico. Uh, And he's quite angry in the email where he's sort of going on the tirade against this guy. And what he's saying is, I gave you everything you asked for. I got you into the vice president's residence. I got you meetings in the White House. I got you high-level access. Uh, And then I'm not going to use the exact language he used. But then he sort of curses him out and says, now where are those deals that I was promised? So the email is explicit in that there's a quid pro quo. I'm going to give you access to the people in my father's administration in exchange for deals. On the second level, what you find in emails is that there's an intermingling of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden's finances. Hunter Biden complains about it. He says you know, to his daughter at one point, you know, I'm paying all the bills in the family, including half of the bills for mom and pop meaning his his mother and his father. Um, And and there is actually evidence of that. Um, We're going through all 30,000 Hunter Biden emails. We're going through and looking at at the bill paying, which, as you can imagine, is pretty, uh, uh, pretty tedious. But what you find is there are bills there that are Joe Biden's bills that are being paid by Hunter Biden. Um, That is uh, not only unethical, um, it's actually not legal. Um, it's it's pretty clear that you know family members and politicians can they can give gifts they can buy them pre- uh, presents that sort of thing sure. they cannot pay their bills um, and and as you know they cannot pay their bills and that is what was going on so. It's very clear that the financial benefits that Hunter Biden gets from these foreign entities accrue to the benefit of his father because he's paying his father's bills while he's vice president of the United States.
2: And it needs to be disclosed. And not only do I believe that that's illegal, but there are financial disclosures if you get some remuneration outside of the compensation that you get for being vice
10: president, correct? Correct. Uh, Exactly. And uh, remember, um, you know, you can only accept, I think it's, you know, $15,000 now in gifts uh, tax free uh, from somebody. The IRS, if you get more gifts than that, the IRS is going to charge a gift tax. So the question is, did Joe Biden claim on his taxes with the IRS that he received these gifts uh uh, from his son and i would imagine the fact that he hasn't disclosed them or discussed them i imagine he did not disclose those gifts to the irs which means you've got a tax issue now as well these are
2: very serious situations you know i remember when the democrats uh, were yelling emoluments clause emoluments clause when president trump (laughs) was in office they wanted to see literally, they wanted to see every transaction at every Trump hotel around the world, because if somebody bought a Diet Coke out of their mini bar, you know, that might be a foreign government trying to prevent, you know, use influence. And yet now you have some very direct evidence, email evidence, other transactions out there. You have travel logs, you have Air Force Two uh, that's being used. You have the vice president's residence being used. I, I, you know, have somebody who was the former chairman of the Oversight Committee. It is absolutely unbelievable the lack of intellectual curiosity by the national media and the fact that Congress is doing nothing on this. Republicans, my take on it, my personal take, is they are pathetic in terms of rallying behind because I tell you what, every single Democrat was pounding on Donald Trump on this issue they went through an exhaustive uh, uh, review of what was going on. Was there influence peddling? Of which Mr. Mueller found nothing uh, in essence. And you had Democrat after Democrat. And yet I find that most people, public policy off, uh, you know, officials, they're almost oblivious to this story. They say, oh, yeah, Hunter Biden, you know, it's kind of a joke. Let's talk about, you know, some other things. But I just don't see the outrage. And I don't see... I see such a double standard on how they're trying and not trying to hold them accountable.
10: No, I I, I agree with you, uh, Jason. And here's the point. I mean, you, you know, I'm very familiar with your uh, terrific career in Congress and, and uh, you know, we're working together now. I mean, the bottom line is neither you nor I are saying that you're going to, you know, that you bring up false charges. This, the question is, should Congress be holding hearings to try to figure out exactly what was going on? You know, you should ask questions of people because the American people have a right to know. You're talking about foreign oligarchs. Um, one of the things we're doing in the research, uh, Jason, is we're going to all the emails. Uh, there's going to be a lot more shoes to drop in terms of where exactly this money was coming from. But but since when is it illegitimate for Congress to simply ask questions about what was the financial relationship there are these uh these uh you know bills that are being paid that say jrb for joseph Robinette biden it's the only biden family member with those in, uh, with those initials um hmm. explain this um and 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 yet i think you're exactly right um congress Uh, Republicans included, don't seem to want to go there. My sense, however, though, is, Jason, is outside of Washington, D.C., people are very concerned about these issues um, because they want to make sure that their represented officials are actually representing them and not representing some foreign entity.
2: Yeah. You know, and when you have a plane that's funded by the taxpayers called Air Force Two, which doesn't get any more prestigious than that, other than maybe Air Force One. Air Force Two is taking off and you have Hunter Biden on the plane with his business associate, Jeff Cooper, flying at taxpayers expense to go down to Mexico. And then you have these deals happening and you have pictures at the Naval Observatory with Carlos Slim and some of these other, you know, uh, people from Mexico, and then you compare that to the email traffic about, hey, where's my money?
10: How can people not ask that question? <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it's indicative, I think, of uh, a culture in Washington, D.C. Uh, that has become far too uh, uh, accepting, uh, I think, of corruption. I think there's obviously politics at play. Democrats don't want to go there because um, they've got their political interests at stake. But I think in general, um, what has become acceptable in Washington, D.C. is not acceptable anywhere else. It's, it's, you know, it's the old saying that, that you know, when you get to Washington, D.C., it's like a cesspool, but you stay there long enough and it feels like a hot tub. And my fear is that we have too many elected officials that are comfortable with this kind of behavior, whether they themselves want to partake in it or have partaken in it, or whether it's just as simply that, that they accept it, that this is the way it's going to be done. But to me, this goes to the core function of government, which is a representative form of government, and our representatives should be representing us their constituents. That's where their interests should align and should align. And the problem here, uh, Jason, is we're not dealing with, you know, some, uh, you know, paving contractor back in some congressman's home district. We're dealing with foreign governments and foreign oligarchs, some of which um, have ties to foreign intelligence services, have corruption charges that they're facing. These are the individuals in which the Biden family is doing business.
2: Well, and this is this is the rub. This is look. They put Donald Trump Jr. on the cover of Time Magazine for an innocuous twenty-minute meeting with somebody he had never met before, and yet they have all of this evidence. Where's Time Magazine? Where are the others now? It's it's a deep question. Peter Schweitzer is diving deeper than anybody else out there. I appreciate you joining us uh, on the Brian Kilmeade Show today. There's a lot more to come on this story, uh, and I know you'll be at the forefront of it. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be back real soon.
1: Coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents
9: podcasts, women of the Bible speak.
0: I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download your podcasts.
12: The
1: fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
4: The Trump administration passed many more regulations, many more sanctions against it, which basically has cut off all income coming into Cuba.
0: In this White House statement today, you note the, quote, tragic grip of the pandemic, but under current U.S. sanctions that were put in place by the last administration but have not been changed by this administration, Cuban exiles cannot send remittances to their family that lives in Cuba.
10: Why hasn't President Biden taken steps to undo Uh, some of the things that his predecessor, Donald Trump, did to overturn the overtures made by President Obama.
2: Well, that's a montage of people from CBS This Morning, uh, CNN, an an Associated Press reporter, and MSNBC contributor. Um, A little bit of Trump derangement syndrome, uh, wondering why these protests are happening there in Cuba. Of course, it must be Donald Trump's fault. um, But you know what? Who better to maybe listen to what the people of Cuba really want and what they're seeking than Representative Carlos Jimenez. He's a Republican from Florida. Uh, Listen to his take. He immigrated from Cuba back in 1960.
7: The people of Cuba want their freedom. They want freedom to speak freely. They want freedom of the press. They want free and democratic elections. Uh, They want basic human rights, which have been denied to them for 60 years. And so what you're seeing now is the young people that have actually grown up in the system have figured out, hey, this system doesn't work for us. It doesn't work for anybody. It has never worked for anybody. And we want freedom. The Cuban government has uh, cannot pay their bills, and they haven't been able to pay their bills for years. So credit is being denied to them. That's why these shortages they have of food and medicines and all that, all because of the failed economic policies of communism. And let's call it what it is.
2: It is. It's communism. It's a socialist agenda that says the government should just take care of everything. That you get a ration card, and that ration card can be used to get the food that you need. Uh, that you have to do exactly what the government says at all times. This is the destructive policies that are communism and uh, socialism. And I and I tell you, I, I think the Cuban people, the young people that are growing up in Cuba, recognize that Less than a hundred miles to the north, they have more freedom, they have more opportunity they have, and so, why is it a mystery to the press corps at the White House that maybe the people of Cuba they want freedom, they want liberty, they want self determination they want to be able to have the basic human right to actually decide for themselves how they want to live their lives that 's what the Cuba people are seeking, and I hope America stands tall, stands with the people of Cuba, the people of Cuba and supports the idea that liberty and freedom will always prevail. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right back.
9: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox
1: News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
12: Yeah, you've been the f*** out of shape about critical race theory. Well, the good news is you might not be a racist. B***h. You might just be ignorant of what the hell CRT is. Basically, you know, it's a bunch of legal scholarship and academic thinky talk that just tries to figure out what systems are in place that f*** over minorities in the U.S. in subtle ways. Rather than the by full on in your face racism. No one is teaching this stuff to your young kids. So calm the f*** down. It's pretty high college-level stuff, and if your kids go to college, they're going to definitely be exposed to the whether you agree with it, no matter what you think, okay? So, again, calm the down.
2: Well, sorry for the swear-fest there, but that's actor um, and self-proclaimed expert on critical race theory, John Leguizamo, uh, out on Instagram, uh, basically saying, hey, look, if you don't support CRT, Uh, you're racist or ignorant and that if you're a critic, you know, you got to just calm down and you obviously don't know what you're talking about. And so I thought we would bring in Leo Terrell. Leo Terrell was a, you know, he's a Fox News contributor. He's a civil rights attorney, but he was also a teacher along the way too. The man does it all. And we're thrilled and honored to have Leo Terrell joining us. Leo, what's your, uh, what's your take with what John said and how he feels about critical race theory.
11: Well, I'll tell you right now, uh, being, thank you very much, first of all, Jason, for having me on. I, you know, as sure. a former teacher who taught history and government, still have my license, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He he, makes able, he he makes a false statement claiming that it's not being taught. The NEA and the AFT are talking about filing lawsuits, and they're going to implement this. I mean, on Fox News, we watch – parents from schools all over the country complaining about critical race theory being taught the key here is this it's a theory it's indoctrination it is not grounded in the facts so i'm just i think his platform is being an actor he, he believes he has the credibility to talk about it he's unqualified not equipped not an expert on the subject and yet he goes on and criticizes those who have some knowledge about it and I'll tell you right now, I just think it's disingenuous for him to, to, to come on the air and talk about it. Well, and to suggest that
2: it's not being taught in our schools, it's just a highbrow thing that's being done at, with the higher education. And oh, by the way, they're going to hear about it anyway. I mean, you have parents from coast to coast going to school board meetings, engaging with their teachers and the administrators. Some are receptive. Some are not so receptive, like in uh, Loudoun County, I believe, which you know had that notorious event there. But Don't tell me that your teachers aren't being pushed this down by the Department of Education. I mean, come on. That's
11: that's just void of fact. I mean, he's absolutely lying. The Biden administration is offering financial carrots to school districts to teach this racist theory. And that's what it is. It's a racist theory. But there are financial incentives by the Biden administration. Again, the teacher unions have backed this theory up. And parents are exercising their legitimate right to challenge the implementation of this theory uh, at the school district. And again, Jason, people need to understand, critical race theory has no fact. It's a racist theory that people are inherently advantaged because of color and disadvantaged because of color. I find that offensive. As a civil rights attorney, it is absolutely racist.
2: You know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but my 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 take on where we're going here is, I see these uh, liberals continuing to work to divide America. I I grew up in a household in a in a community and I, my the thought was always that everyone is created equal and that we should be treating we shouldn't be dividing people and giving them rewards or anything derogatory based on their skin color. Wasn't that the message of Martin Luther King? Isn't that the message of Where What we're trying to achieve is that everybody is equal regardless of what color your skin is?
11: I thought that was the message of Dr. King. It was inspiring for me to become a civil rights attorney. I mean, now we have flipped the script, and now the color of a person's skin is critical as to whether or not he's right or wrong, he's privileged or not. And the problem that exists here is that the Democrats, Jason, have quadrupled down on this. They play the race card. Normally, they play it around election time. They play it every day, 24-7. And I think it's going to backfire on them uh, in the midterms. I'm hoping that it will. But the key here is they they have doubled down on it, quadrupled down on it. Every day, something is all based upon race. And I'll tell you right now, it's very, very offensive. It's not what this country is built on. We have passed tremendous laws in the 60s the voting rights act the civil rights act the fair housing act and i want to be very clear i say this every time i'm on every fox program there is no systemic racism in this great country
2: well i appreciate that perspective because you're right as a teacher but also as a civil rights attorney and the perspective that you bring and it's you know, we should be arguing about public policy and not about, hey, because your skin color is this, you should get certain privileges or you should be not denied certain things. Uh, Leo, I want to move, though, on to the whole issue of crime, because if we go to cut 23, the Democrats, they really did push to defund the police departments. But now they're trying to deny it. I I have a theory of that. I tend to think that they went out and polled it and realized that America isn't with them on this, and now they're trying to flip flop their position, which I hope they do. But listen to these Democrats in their approach to what they think should happen with the police department.
0: Yes, I support the defund movement because this is about the the um, investment in our communities which have historically been divested. Not only do we need to defund, but we need to dismantle and start anew. Why use the word defund? Why use the word defund? And it's like, this is the word that's coming from the streets.
11: Defund the police does not mean abolish the police. It means a dramatic reduction in the number of police in our poor communities. I am for defunding the police. Look, the reality is
2: we can't rely upon the police to provide public
7: safety. It's a moment to reimagine policing, to take things off the shoulders. and What we also want is a reconception of how we achieve public safety.
0: How do we take out many of the responsibilities that police officers are now dealing with by investing more into housing, into education, into these other things? You know, in in many cities in America, over one-third of their city budget goes to police. So we have to have this conversation. What are we doing?
2: That ended with Vice President Kamala oh, Harris, Kamala Harris. Uh, but these were all members of Congress and and uh, the United States Congress, uh, mixed in with a few mayors and the Attorney General of Minnesota, Keith Ellison. So, what's your reaction to that,
11: Leo? Uh, I, I, my reaction is exactly yours. Uh, it's not polling well. They they wrote on this last year during the riots, not peaceful protests, protesting of uh, 2020, and this this carnage that's going on in democratic cities where they look the other way and the criminals are running these democratic cities la baltimore washington atlanta chicago portland seattle they're trying to run away from it they even accuse republicans of 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 sponsoring (laughs) defunding the police it is a joke jason and again The COVID-19 is no longer the number one issue. The number one issue in this country is crime in America. And, again, it doesn't poll well. They're going to pay a price at the 2022 uh, midterms. And one other point, that dog and pony show that Joe Biden had yesterday on, on crime prevention, and all he's talking about is gun control, no, 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 no. And Eric Adams, who claims to be a moderate New York m- mayoral candidate, hey, unless he criticizes members of his Democratic Party, the squad, those who are calling for defunding police, he sat there and kissed the ring of Joe Biden, and he's not going to do anything to help New York, and New Yorkers, you should be aware. Now, let's,
2: let's listen to this. This has got 20. Here's what Joe Biden said.
4: Well, there's no one size fits all approach. Uh, we know there are some things that work. And uh, the first of those that worked is stemming the flow of firearms used to commit violent crimes. And uh, it includes cracking down on holding rogue gun dealers accountable uh, for violating uh, the federal law. It includes the Justice Department creating five new strike forces to crack down on illegal gun trafficking, and the Carter's supplying weapons uh, to cities of New York, from New York to the Bay Area.
11: What's your take on that, Leo? Uh, just a, a, a old-fashioned 20-year-old Democratic talking point not addressing what is happening in these Democratic cities. What's happening, soft on crime, prosecutors are not prosecuting criminals. Like in New York, they decided not to prosecute uh, 400 individuals, criminals who, who ride it last year. But they're going after Trump. So it's a— Democratic talking point for gun control advocates has no correlation, Jason, to the actual crime going on in the streets where people now they are not waiting at night. There's broad daylight crime activity, assault, <laughs> burglary, robberies in broad daylight in Democratic cities.
2: Well, and that's exactly right. Look, throughout my business career, I have traveled a lot. I mean, I've traveled extensively. In New York City, I remember with Rudy Giuliani and Bernie Carrick, it, it became a very safe city. You would feel comfortable walking block yep. to block and all around the city. You can't do that now. And there is this total disconnect because for Joe Biden, President Joe Biden say, well, there are certain things we know that work. And, oh, by the way, we just haven't been doing them. That is offensive because I tell you what 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 Giuliani and Carrick and others understood is that those petty crimes lead to big crimes and so they would go after people if they jumped the turnstile if they broke a window if they engaged in in some petty theft They would actually there would actually be a consequence. But right now, all you have to do is turn on the TV. You see people ransacking on a a Walgreens and Target. They're talking about limiting the times that they'll be open because people just come in and grab handfuls of stuff. They know they won't be
11: arrested and they certainly won't be prosecuted. You're 100 percent correct. Giuliani implemented the broken window program. It worked effectively. And now these criminals are committing crimes because they know, Jason, they know there is no prosecution to their criminal misconduct. And it leads to greater and greater crime. And we're experiencing it every week in Chicago. It's just a total disaster. It's just an example of how the Democrats have allowed the criminals to run their cities. And guess who pays the price? People of color who want police, Jason, they support law enforcement. Well, this is one of the great
2: big issues, I think, going into 2022, because I I think they have sort of flip-flopped. I think they went out and did some uh, polling on this, just like they did on voting rights. I think they've gone out and said that, oh, yeah, whoops, this doesn't poll well. We ought to be supporting our police officers. Surprise, surprise. But you know what? The naked reality is the Democrats have been controlling the big cities of, of Baltimore and and New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco and Portland. And yet we have some of the worst homelessness and we have some of the worst crime. And their prescription is going to take us exactly the opposite direction. By now, there's a directive to put in, the progressives are asking for, federal prosecutors, U.S. attorneys to be put into place that, again, will not go after these smaller crimes, which are the things that scare the living daylights out of people.
11: You're a hundred. I mean, we are speaking the same language. It's smoke and mirrors. They don't want to address the root of the problem. Why? Because Black Lives Matter and TIFA, that's their base. That's their progressive wing. And they're not going to criticize them. And this is why they look the other way. They're looking for other alternatives. But I think the train has left the station. COVID-19 is no longer the number one issue. It is crime, which is, has backfired on the Democrats, and the polling right. This Jim Crow 2.0, they don't say that any longer. They're not against voter ID. Those two issues do not poll well for the Democrats, and there's going to be a tsunami in 2022. Nancy Pelosi is going home in, in 2022.
2: Uh, What's your perspective about the intersection of of that issue of crime and, you know, the defunding the police that the Democrats advocated for and illegal immigration? Because they don't want the border wall. They have open borders and people who are here illegally commit crimes are not even being deported at this point.
11: Oh, well, you know, I live in the great sanctuary state of California, and I'll tell you right now, it, it's just total chaotic. They do, look, the, the, the Biden administration has exposed who they really are. They don't want border security. They undid the great work of Donald Trump in less than six months. They have continued their policy on lawlessness. And I think we have buyer remorse in this country right now because we had national security, we had border security, we had a president who was effective on law and order, and now people are looking at the good old days, and they ended on January 19, 2021. And I'll tell you, Jason, there's no doubt in my mind. The Democrats are going to lose the House in 2022 because Joe Biden tried to erase the the Donald Trump administration policies, But people have a memory of the good days.
2: Well, it's the policies of of the Trump administration that I think people so admired. Leo Terrell, one of our favorites, Fox News contributor, civil rights attorney and former teacher. The guy does it all. Leo, thanks so much (laughs) for joining us today on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
11: Jason in the house, thank you for having
1: me. All right. We'll be back. Stay with us. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
10: We're very
2: opposed to the authoritarian nature of Cuba. But, you know, you got it's unfair to simply
1: say
13: everything is bad. You know, when Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Is that a bad thing? Even though Fidel Castro did it?
2: That was Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont back in February of 2020 praising Castro and this regime. But uh, yeah, pretty much everything in communism, uh, it's bad. it it really is bad. And so you could say, oh, he did a literacy program. But when you can't feed your family, when you rely totally 100% on the government on what you can eat, when you can eat it, how you can eat it, those types of things. Yeah, it pretty much is all bad. And uh, so, you know, you were totally fine with that. And now he's given a little bit of lip service to saying, well, you know, everybody deserves political freedom and they ought to be able to protest. And um, okay, but now is the critical time. Now is the time when the United States of America can stand behind the people of Cuba who want self-determination, who want liberty. They want freedom. They, they want to be able to control the destiny of their own lives. This is a pivotal moment for the United States of America. I hope we recognize it. I hope we do it. I hope we stand behind the people of Cuba and let them know we love them. We care for them. And certainly, as our neighbors, less than a hundred miles off of our coast of Florida, this is a pivotal time. This is somewhat spontaneous. I think it's real. I think these are generations of a new generation of people. When I see the video out there on the street, it's a very new group these are these are fresh voices. these are people that recognize the suppression that that the socialist type of an approach um, a communist regime will put upon its people. And there are other parts of the world that have these types of oppressive regimes. And when we're in a geopolitical fight, if you will, with China and others, I think it's pivotal that we recognize and that we support and we do everything we can to make sure that there is democracy and freedom and that we support the people of Cuba. Uh, listen, it's been an honor and a privilege to come in and join you on the, by guest hosting for Brian Kilmeade, one of the hardest working people in all of television and radio. Uh, I hope you have a chance to check out my podcast. It's called Jason in the house. So anywhere you get podcasts, you just type in Jason in the house. We take a deep dive, particularly into conservatives, what they believe, how they believe, like, why is it that they believe what they believe? So check out Jason in the house and uh, I just hope you have an absolute wonderful day. Thank you so much for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The website, show.com Thanks for joining us. I've been Jason Chaffetz, and we appreciate you joining us.